This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for joining us. Always, our friend Emily Zanotti, political editor at Heat Street, is on the line. What's up, Emily? Happy Friday, even though it's Friday the 13th. Ooh. It, I like Friday the 13th. It's kind of creepy and good. Oh, look at you leaning into the superstition. Yeah. You're just like, bring I am it. leaning in. You probably like Ouija boards and black cats and stuff, too. I'm not a Ouija like, board there... fan, but I do have a surprising number of home decor skulls. Wow. If you ever care to elaborate on that, let us know. <laughs> uh, so... Good talk. Uh, tell me about Heat Street's always got lots of fun and interesting stuff up on the site. Heatstreet.com, everybody, for those listening and who want to play the read-along game, too, as you're listening. Utah High School scraps dating class that told women to be feminine and ladylike. Ooh, what's going on? It did. So uh, Utah High School decided to make uh, purposes of dating part of their home at curriculum. So they have a class that teaches people how to, you know, balance a bank account and stuff like that. They decided it might be fun to teach them what they should do when they go out on dates. And they ended up kind of pushing the envelope. They told girls that they shouldn't go to the bathroom during a date because that was rude, that they should eat everything on their plate because the gentleman had paid for it, um, that they should be feminine and ladylike. And they also gave uh, guys some really interesting advice, too, like uh, make sure you bring flowers and candy to your date. Don't interrupt her when she's talking. It was was a very, uh, very interesting advice. And they ended up having to pull it because some of the parents complained. Well, some of that advice is crap. Let's get into this for a second, Emily. Obviously, don't be polite or rather don't interrupt and be polite. I mean, unless you're a radio host, then you have to be. Uh, a ruffian and a philistine who interrupts and yells over people all the time uh but other than that that's good advice but the bring chocolates and or bring candy and flowers on a date i think most ladies if you show up on a first date with flowers and candy it's it's a little much it's a little overdoing it it's it's like a couple steps behind showing up outside her window and playing uh your eyes as you hold up a <laughs> Boombox in a trench coat, <laughs> a la John, John Cusack. Cusack, right there. Yeah, it is yep. a little pushy. You know, it's got a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I, I think so. It sounds like it was. I was originally about to say that telling women to be ladylike and uh, what was the other part of it to be feminine and ladylike to be feminine. Is, yeah, is is generally good advice. I would say. I think it's also good for a lot of. Young men to be told, just be a man. I think that's useful, mm-hmm. as Ron Swanson laid out in his yes. 
handbook in Parks and Recreation for Swanson men, be a man. That was <laughs> it was a one page synopsis of all you had to do in the in the handbook. Uh, and so that's an interesting thing that happened in Utah. Now tell me about hipsters and LL Bean duck boots. I am not a hipster, but I do rock the duck boots. I also rock the duck boots. I quite like them. They're really great when you have to, you know, shovel the driveway or whatever in the wintertime. Um, but they came to be a trend in the last couple of years. They've replaced Ugg boots as the hip footwear for, I guess, college age and young women. And yesterday, these women found out that one of the L.L. Bean founders or the founder's granddaughter had donated to Donald Trump. And suddenly they were just just devastated that they had purchased these trendy boots from L.L. Bean and they'd been wearing them for a whole year. And now they find out that they've been unconsciously supporting Donald Trump. And, of course, that was just a horror, horror of horrors. I mean, are we really at the point now? where we're going to give up if we're leftist, angry Democrats, some pretty badass boots because we hate Donald Trump so much. I feel like that says a lot. Once it's infringing on the left's fashion choices, then you know that they mean, well, they don't mean business. They mean to destroy business. Right. And I mean, I put out on Twitter that if anyone had a spare pair of the, you know, size sixes that they could no longer emotionally handle wearing, that I would be happy to take them off their hands. Yeah, I, I saw this thing, you know, yesterday and, and people that say they'll never wear duck boots again. I'm just like, well, there are shortages sometimes, so at least we won't have to worry about that as much. Quack, quack. David Brock. We have to have some substandard uh, who, footwear. Who, who, yeah, David Brock, next piece on HeatStreet.com, who people will say to me, they're like, Buck, you know, your, your hair is not quite at Brock level. And I take that as a compliment because his his hair is crazy, but he, he like is now he yeah <laughs> damn he is <laughs> slamming or rather he had slammed Bernie Sanders, but is now trying to hop on the Sandernista train. He's trying to be a Bernie bro. What's yeah. going on here? So he took to Medium dot com, which is sort of like this website where you can go on and post open letters to people. He went on Medium.com and said that he regretted everything that he said about Bernie Sanders. And well, some of the stuff he said was crazy. I mean, he said that Bernie Sanders didn't care about black people and that Bernie Sanders was just a communist. And he would go on and on and on. In fact, Bernie Sanders just called him a piece of human scum. Um, They had this fight going for the whole campaign. And now that I guess Hillary Clinton is no longer going to be in politics, He's decided that it's time to make peace and jump on the Bernie bandwagon. I think that he just realizes that he needs a new he needs a new act because his thing was that he was the Clinton lapdog extraordinaire. And that's not such a great place to be anymore. And he needs to position himself in a way that he's at the I I sound like I'm David Brock's strategist here. He was, by the way, a Republican at one point, too. So, I mean, this guy is jumping around. You know, he, he's a he is an absolute media mercenary. And now he's just looking for where the best angle is to be anti-Trump, never Trump. And I guess being a Bernie bro is where it's at. Yeah, in fact, I mean, he jumped ship very publicly back in the 90s. He led the way uh, the led the opposition research campaign against the Clintons that ultimately led to the stuff that was in Bill Clinton's impeachment trial and then publicly declared that he was completely blindsided by the right and that he has come to see the light and switched over to the Clinton side and was 
basically their conciliary for almost two decades. And now he's decided that he's it, it's not an insult to Hillary Clinton, he says, but that there's a better way that he's seen. Trump's party planners say inauguration will have a soft sensuality. This also on Heat Street. Uh, what <laughs> does that mean? <laughs> we're not quite sure what that means, actually. Um, we're under the impression that it means it's going to be a more low-key kind of elegant event rather than the star-studded inaugurations that we saw during the Obama administration. But we're also a little afraid that it means Donald Trump is going to appear in his pajamas. I think it's, it's, it's scary wording. Let's put it that way. And yeah, I just soft sensuality. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye. There's some light. I mean, there's some candles on in the background and, (laughs) Or you put on you put on the, the music that you hear when you turn on the easy listening station on satellite or on whatever radio you listen to. I always wonder where do they get this stuff? Like who, who who's sitting around making the easy listening music? You know, the stuff that right. sort of that like who that jazz that you like I think Kenny G would make a great version of this, you know? Yeah, I just sometimes <laughs> think that there's a guy somewhere with a synthesizer who's just making all this stuff. You know, he's got like a 80s beat, 80s beat that he plays, a little synthesizer. Anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Uh, Madonna, I don't even know why I'm talking about her, but, well, we're going to make fun of her, so that makes sense. She's always right. felt oppressed. This also on Heatstreet.com. Oh, why, why has, is she almost a billionaire? Why does almost billionaire Madonna feel oppressed? Well, she's, she's felt that all her life that people have not understood her and that she has taken these steps, which she has admitted uh, were to anger the uh, status quo and to get her further, you know, to, to, to rile people up. But she says that all her life she's just been misunderstood and oppressed and under the thumb of the patriarchy. And she hasn't felt that she can be herself ever. So we should all be really crying into our uh, beer glasses tonight for Madonna. I also see that uh, Jessica Chastain has just tweeted out that birth control is no longer covered by health insurance. Congrats, USA. You're doing your part to keep women out of the workforce. And then SMFH, which I feel like that's an acronym that has some profanity in it. I just realized that. Yeah, Um, shaking my something head? I don't know what that acronym is. Yeah, my foul head. Uh, (laughs) That's not true. She's very famous and has a big Twitter following. She played the redheaded analyst in that CIA movie, Zero Dark Thirty, yeah. uh, but no one's going to care, right? She, this is this is disprovable by anybody who goes and tries to get birth control, but no one's going to care because she's a celebrity and they can say dumb things. Right. There's nobody who's going to be like, oh, you maybe you're wrong to her face. I'm sure that there's going to be a plenty of people on Twitter who are going to point out that, yes, it is still covered by your insurance and you can probably get inexpensive birth control at Walmart for $10 or less, but... Uh, you're a celebrity, so you're entitled to your own reality, I suppose. Yeah, just one of the few. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like people just say the dumbest things, and no one cares. And <laughs> famous people with huge followings, and they just get away with it. I want to ask you about Chicago real quick before we let you go, Emily. Uh, the <laughs> attorney general spoke out about Chicago policing earlier this morning. I'm going to get into the details of that after the break. But mm-hmm. you live in Chicago, right? What's, I do. Yeah. For, for a for a Chicagoan. 
the whole country is looking at what's going on in the south and the west sides and saying, what what is going on here? So I ask you, what is it like? I mean, are you does it ever sort of spill over? Do people in Chicago who don't live in those neighborhoods pay much attention to it? Or what's it like to be a Chicagoan with a with a city that had I think it was what was it over 700 homicides last year? Over 700 homicides and more than 3000 shootings. Um, and yeah, we are we are looking at the south and west sides. We're actually looking at the mayor and saying, what the heck is going on right now? Because this isn't something that has just suddenly popped up. It's been increased, getting increasingly worse over the last few years. And Rahm Emanuel and the Chicago Police Department haven't been able to solve this problem. We've been through two police chiefs. We're now on our third police chief. Um, and part of the problem, at least that we've found out in the last couple of weeks, is that Black Lives Matter has been pressuring the police department to stop, stop and frisk. They've been cutting. So the police department has been cutting down on patrols in those areas. They've effectively let social justice warriors dictate how the police department runs its business because they're too afraid. Uh, and so the attorney general came out with this report saying that the police department is doing all of these civil rights violations and how horrible they are. But we're looking at the Chicago Police Department and asking, why aren't you doing more? What What is happening right now? Have you been over into some of these areas? I'm just wondering how is it is it sort of I've been in very difficult neighborhoods before, especially in my time mm-hmm. in the NYPD. I mean, I was I spent some time in the there are very few places in New York City still where there is a pretty high rate of violent crime. But I've been in them for extended periods of time. And you can, you, you kind of know, you know, you're on the streets and you look around, you look at the buildings and you, you just can sort of yeah. sense that this is bad stuff going on. Is that what it's like or is it kind of out of nowhere in these areas of the south and west of Chicago? I've never been to Chicago, so I don't know anything about it. It's very secluded. So I probably would never end up in these neighborhoods just because I have no reason to be there. It's not anywhere that I would travel even as a tourist. It's on the far south sides, on the far west sides where we have gang violence that's out of control. Um, but they are places where you can recognize there's a problem. They are limited to very specific locations in the city where this is happening. Uh, and so the police department says that it's been focusing very exclusively on these bits and pieces around Chicago, but the results don't seem to play that out. Now, the last couple of summers, we have had it expand. When it gets warm outside, Chicago's a really nice place. Love to go to the beach. The, you know, see the restaurants on the lakeshore. And that's when people from the south and west side start to do fun things on the north side, and then they get into trouble and there's shootings on the north side. So it does spread during the summertime, but for the most part, it's on the south and west sides and neighborhoods that are very secluded in and of themselves. Emily Zanotti is a political editor over at Heat Street. Follow her E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. Emily? Happy Friday the 13th. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. And uh, team, phone lines open, 888-900-3393. We will be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network.
Individuals and businesses with tax problems listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Oh, we've got Andy in Florida on the line. Andy, you're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. And I'm very excited about it because I'm usually a podcast listener, so it's great to be talking to you in real time. Absolutely. So, Thank you, sir. Yeah. Spread that um, podcast far and wide. Build Team Buck Florida for me, Andy. I love Florida. I do everything I can along those lines. So You're the man, hey, dude. Thank the, you. So what's on your mind? The, the whole Friday the 13th thing, um, and I apologize if I miss this, but I learned something interesting when I was reading a book that was essentially a compilation of letters and journals and, and articles from the days of the Civil War. And um, it seems that back before the five-day work week um, was pretty much universal, that all Fridays were considered to be evil, generally. And um, the reason for that was is that it was the day that Christ was crucified. There was only one Good Friday, which was cleverly named Good Friday, because that actually represented the day that Christ was, in fact, crucified. Um, <clears throat> and um, so, so all Fridays were considered to be bad. So I've—now, I don't know exactly how that ties into Friday the 13th, except that now you have— on Friday the 13th, you have two superstitions uh, colliding directly. The the um, you know the general evilness of a Friday, uh, coupled with the evilness of the number 13. So I think that's where the whole Friday the 13th came from. So, um, but uh, yeah, Friday's bad and 13 is bad. That's that's kind of what I yeah. was getting at with the yeah. Yeah, but it, but it was kind of a, uh, you know, everybody's now is, you know, thank God it's Friday because of the, but that's only because of the five day work week. If, if Saturday, right. Friday's actually Friday. awesome. Every Friday is, is good in a sense. <laughs> so that's the change, yeah, well, I mean, but you're right. That's a new, that's a new thing. And if you're a, if you're a Muslim or if you're a Jew, uh, you know, practicing clearly there's also different, there's differentiation between what day of the week is awesome for you and what day of the week is not as awesome or, or religious in significance and not as maybe awesome in the right. old school inspiring all way. Yeah. So, right? I mean, that was just, that was just the one thing, the one thing I was, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing I had gathered from it, but it was, it was neat in reading the book that I got the perspective, which is why I love reading history books. And I'm sure you feel the same way because it does give you little bits of perspective and, you know, most of the content in that particular book that I was written were written by people living at the time. So they wrote in the context of their culture at the time. And obviously there have been a lot of changes in even just the 150, 200, 175 years since the Civil War. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But that uh, is true. So and 
And speaking of history, I know you get a lot of requests to do more history shows, and I love your history shows, and, and I'm one of them that would want you to do more. But, you know, if you're looking for uh, – you might want to consider, you know, as kind of a um, – uh, history light content, doing historical some historical biographies on people. Um, you know, that might not require yeah. as much production effort as going into the whole Lepanto thing or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think understanding the the people in the context of their times is uh, is a very enlightening process. So interesting. I I, re I used to read a lot of biographies, uh, Andy, but I have to say I've sort of fallen off, and and now I read more general history and even narrative history sometimes. But Andy Shields High down in Florida, uh, thank you very much for calling in. Great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, history shows. I'm I, I got I got that in the in the basket of things that I I'm gonna do. Um. So, yeah, that's what Buck's got on the docket. Uh, we've got an interesting guest coming up. Who? It's a secret. you got to stay with me to find the answer. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we were talking about mysticism before with Friday the 13th and superstition. Let's talk about magic. We're joined now by Murray Sawchuck. He's a celebrity magician who is currently headlining at Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. He was a semifinalist on NBC TV's America's Got Talent. We've got him on the line now. Murray, the magician. Great to Hi. have you, sir. How you doing? Good afternoon. How's life? I, you know, rocking and rolling, sir. Same old, same old. So tell Wonderful. us first, how did you get into magic? Uh, how did you? Well, you got a background in this. How did you get into it? And what are your? What are some of your signature tricks? Well, uh, first of all, I want to do anything that I didn't have to go to school for ten years for because I think school is great. It's just not for me. So magic was it. I'm like perfect. I can just go out and work and make some money. So I'm, I'm very much an entrepreneur, you know. So in that sense, as a kid, you know, I got a magic kit like most people do. You know, at seven, eight years old, use it for 30 seconds, put it away like any kid does with a toy. And then I started kind of honing back into it because when I did tricks, people were actually being fooled. You know, it was just something that was kind of cool that I knew how it worked, but the person in front of me didn't, you know. And to me, it was so obvious how it worked, but it was really cool to fool the mind that way. So that's kind of how it happened. And, um, of course, went through school and did birthday parties as a kid growing up. And then you start creating your own ideas and own tricks and some of the ones I'm, I'm more known for now, uh, because America's Got Talent, a lot of TV shows I've done, um, is uh, banishing the um, uh, 1918 steam train uh, that was on America's Got Talent, which I think is still the biggest trick that they've ever had on the, on the show. And it's live, you know, as, as, as most people know. Um, and it's in real time, which is not as easy to do with a lot of these tricks, uh, which a lot of magicians what? nowadays, you know, aren't doing. Well, you've had over 450 million online views of your tricks, by the way. That's quite a number. I have. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, over uh, the span through YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all that, we've had over 450 million views. And, it, and that's only in the last 14, 15 months. And, uh, and that's only because about a year ago, um, uh, now is a good friend of mine, but reached out to me, a guy named Seth Leach, and he's like a viral video genius. He's like, you know, he could be my son. 
And uh, he's out of L.A., and that's what he does for a living. He's been doing this since he was like 12 years old, he's in his early 20s now. And he says, hey, you got great content, but no one's watching it. I thought, <laughs> that's always nice. So, um, so I said, well, let's figure this out. He said, well, let's work together. I can, I can get it seen by people, and uh, you just create, you know, keep creating the content that you need. And I said, great. I said, so we formed a partnership in the last 14, 15 months. We've been doing uh, YouTube videos, you know, once, twice, three times a week. So it's been really, really popular. And we just finally hit our 100,000 uh, silver play button uh, last week uh, for subscribers. So that's kind of cool, you know, in 14 months. Well, so. Congratulations on, on, on the success of, of the tricks and the, and the projects that you've been working on. Uh, what can you tell us? Uh, the audience you're speaking to now uh, loves history. As a magician yeah. of note, have you looked into sort of the history of, of, of magic as a as a profession? And, you know, what were some of the first sure. tricks that, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, some tricks, you know, I've been very fortunate for the last six years to be on Pawn Stars, you know, which is obviously a historical type show. So we see a lot of historical items come on from Houdini stuff to Blackstone stuff and that. And I mean, magic's one of the oldest uh, art forms, you know, it dates way, way back. And, you know, some of the first tricks that were ever done, it dates back to Asia, you know, in China, you know, where a lot of it started. And one of the oldest tricks in the world is the Chinese linking rings, which are the big silver rings that appear to be solid, you know, and they link together and unlink, uh, which I think a lot of people have seen. And then also it goes back to an old trick called the cups and balls, which is like three little balls, three cups. And nowadays you see it done with three-card Monty or anything. If you're in the streets of San Francisco, it's a hustling game, you know, to make money. Or even in New York City, they do it in the streets there. So so magic is really – it's evolved, and yet it hasn't. You know, the principles and methods are still pretty simple, you know, in the sense that there's only certain – places you can hide a train to make it appear you know what i mean it's only certain places you can hide a ball you know and do sleight of hand you know people's hands haven't changed we still have five fingers and the palm so there's only so many things you can do with cards and coins uh but it's more so the ideas that are people doing now you know it's evolved over the old cups and balls that used to be wooden then they went into metal and copper and now people are using glass like clear glass cups you actually see the balls through and they still vanish there's some really cool art forms that are that are being made so you can make the ball look like it's in the cup, which it is, uh, because you can see through it, but therefore when you lift the cup, it's gone. So it's kind of evolved in its own way from being one of the older tricks in the history of magic. But then also magic's changed where now we use flat screen TVs. You know what I mean? Uh, Marco Tempest, who's out of New York City, he's been known for years to use flat screen TVs. So he'll put his hand behind it and on his, you know, from from the audience you see his hand on the screen. So it's just behind obviously the T V, but he all has it all choreographed. And then when he pulls stuff out of the TV, he really pulls it out of the TV in real time, like a ball, a goldfish, a pole. So it's kind of neat using the modern technology we have now with old forms of magic that's been around for hundreds of years. Are there any tricks that are actually dangerous and do magicians that aren't paying close enough attention you know, ever actually lose a hand? Or if they try to saw somebody in half, do things in, historically or otherwise ever go awry here? Or are they all pretty sure. safe? No, you know, there's certain tricks that are dangerous, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I did some stuff on Extreme Escapes, which is on the Reels channel, where I escaped out of a trunk that was, um, you know, exploding. The whole car was full of explosives, and I had to get out of a locked trunk and pick my locks and that. And obviously, I'm not going to blow myself up. There's always, you know, when you do stuff like this for TV, there's always a emergency button somewhere because, let's be honest, we just really don't want to die, you know. Um In this day and age, at least. But back in the day, you know, people were burning themselves alive, but they weren't checking the weight of the dirt or how far down you have to bury, uh, you know, a plexiglass coffin and that. And you can find all this stuff on YouTube, but there's, it's true stories where, you know, people don't realize, oh, I'll just put dirt on top of the, the lid. 
And, okay, dry dirt, uh, as you would know, weighs a lot less than wet dirt. So say it's a rainy day. Well, people forget to add the weight of water mixed in with dirt, and all of a sudden it changes everything, you know. And sure enough, the, the little claps in. And if the lid claps in in a coffin, say you're underground trying to escape, there goes your oxygen. You know, and that's always a problem for humans, you know. <laughs> so, Who are the so biggest you, you influences things. from the world of magic that you've had? And, and is there sort of a, a, a Michael Jordan of magic, if you will? I think the Michael Jordan of magic is none other than David Copperfield. I mean, he's a legend. Um, he's got more money than God. You know, he's worked so hard for his. I think he's going to be the first billion-dollar magician. I mean, he works nonstop. The magic's great, you know. He's uh, I think he just turned sixty, or he's just late fifties, early sixties, and and he's the one really driving it forward. He has the money, the time, and he has the people he can hire to really create some cool things, you know. And uh, of course, before that, it was Doug Henning, you know, in the seventies. He had a show on Broadway. And before that, it was Blackstone, and then Thurston, and Dante, and Houdini, of course, you know. Even to this day, I think Houdini is still, you know, one of the top magicians in the world. And he's been dead for years, you know, because of what he did and his legacy. And he's one of the greatest PR people in the world, you know, because um, he's the one that said he was the greatest escape artist. And everyone believed it. Is there anywhere where people were civilians who wanted to pick up some, some tricks to pull off at the next uh, cocktail party or just if they want to impress some people on the street or maybe a lady on a date if I want to make a, sure. a dove appear from behind her ear? I don't know. Murray, you got to teach me some <laughs> stuff. Imagine, uh, right? Where, where, where exactly. do you suggest one go? Or are there schools for this kind of thing? How does this all happen? You know, there's schools and also there's YouTube channels. I mean, lately over the last year, we've been doing stuff now because people have been asking for it on my YouTube channel, you know, which is Magic Murray. It's very simple. And there's tricks we teach, you know, going to school, how to impress a girl, a bunch of different tricks that you can actually do at home. But, you know, other things you can do is you can Google on Amazon, find books. One of my favorite books is Mark Wilson's Course in Magic. And it's one that you can read, like the old school days when you went to a library, didn't Google everything. And it has uh, the instructions, and also each uh, by each paragraph it has an illustration. You know, for me, I learn by seeing things. I'm, I'm a visual learner. I can't just learn by reading something, especially with magic, because you put it in your left hand, your right hand, it's like tying a tie without seeing a picture of it. So that's a great book. You know, and now online there's so many different things you can Google and see and DVDs you can buy. But you know, that's, that's one of the greatest places is, is basically going on YouTube, finding stuff, or getting a book like uh, like I said, Mark Wilson's Course in Magic is a very very good book, and, and sold on Amazon and all those places. If people want to see some of your amazing tricks and just learn more about all the magical stuff you're up to, they go to murraymagic.com. Is that right? Yeah, murraymagic.com, or you can go to YouTube and check out my channel, which is Magic Murray. So it's YouTube backslash Magic Murray, and we're uploading stuff like every week. So tons of stuff out there. Well, all right. Murray Sawchuck, yeah. celebrity magician. Thank you so much for joining. And next time I'm out of Planet Hollywood, I'm going to come check out the show. You're always a guest, and thanks for having me on. Have uh, have a great uh, weekend coming up. Fantastic. You too, sir. Thank you. Team, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, got the last days of the Obama administration and President Obama's doing all kinds of things that are not going to make the incoming administration's life any easier. The latest to add into things here 
is that they are ending the uh, so-called wet foot, dry foot policy, which says that Cuban migrants who reach the United States after one year become legal permanent residents. So the Obama administration is now saying, sorry, if you get here, if you're a, a Cuban migrant who makes it to the U.S. shore, you don't, necess- you don't have a, a special uh, privilege anymore. There's no special policy. You know, here's what, they, uh, what the White House announced. Effective immediately, Cuban nationals who, who attempt to enter the United States illegally and do not qualify for humanitarian relief will be subject to removal consistent with U.S. law and enforcement priorities. So they're saying that Cubans that get here now can be deported. Isn't it interesting that Obama deportations have been dropping like a rock in water in recent years? Deportations are way down for the last year of his presidency. Perhaps something we should talk about in detail some other time. But the administration is saying by taking this, quote, by taking this step, we are treating Cuban migrants the same way we treat migrants from other countries. The Cuban government has agreed to accept the return of Cuban nationals who have been ordered removed, just as it has been accepting the return of migrants uh, interdicted at sea. Um, uh, So this is to cement the changes that Obama's made in relationships between the two countries. It's one week before Obama leaves office is what he's doing. Uh, you're, You're seeing Obama for the person that he really is or for what he really believes in the latter stages and the very, I should say, the very final stage of his presidency uh, with the slap in the face to Israel at the United Nations uh, with this uh, wet foot, dry foot policy change uh, with a, a number of initiatives the president's rolling out. Plus, I'm sure there's regulatory changes and things that are being rushed through at the 11th hour. And we're going to see the Pardons. Oh, there's the possibility of a Chelsea Manning commutation. Originally, I was reading it was going to be a pardon. I thought there's no way they're going to do that. What was the whistleblowing exactly that the U.S. military isn't perfect and that diplomats around the world have to deal with some unsavory characters in some authoritarian, nasty places? That's not whistleblowing. That's just reckless exposure of U.S. government activity. To what end? It's treason. What, what, what Bradley, now Chelsea Manning did, did not help the United States, did not add transparency in any meaningful way. It just, it, it, you know, radical transparency, take it to its logical end. Should, should people see everything the CIA is doing? Should all the CIA sources around the world talking to us in authoritarian countries be exposed? Some of them are very bad people. Some of them are doing very, very bad things. Should that be is that transparency? The the left is fascinating with the way it applies this rhetoric about being a whistleblower and and the really the creation of heroes out of people who are betraying their country. And now Manning has even said, yeah, I, I it showed poor judgment, and so now it's oh well, he wants. At one point, they're going for the the whole he's a hero line, and that didn't stick. So now they're going for They still try that with Snowden, by the way. And people get mad at me, even some conservatives. Say, don't you want to know about domestic spying? Okay, he could have taken a document or two and made the case about domestic spying. From what we have been told and from what we know based on all the reporting on this, including Snowden's own words and also the words of Russian officials, 
he took a vast trove of top secret material with him. What was that all about? If not to buy off the Russians to give him safe harbor. That is being a defector, defector, that is that is treason. They try to say Snowden's a hero too. But you'll see now you've got uh, Pompeo who wants to change who would be uh, the would be CIA director, soon to be CIA director who believes in uh, metadata surveillance. So we haven't even, it's not even like this was exposed and the American people have revolted and, and are shuddering in horror over this issue. But I digress. Back to the, the, the Cuba. Well, I'll get to the Cuba. I, I want to stay on the Manning-Snowden thing for a second here because I'll finish that off first. Uh, this is really interesting to see that the Obama, that Obama would even be considering a commutation of Manning's sentence. I, if he wants to take it from 35 years to 20 years or something, if he thinks 35 is is too much, I, I mean, okay, it's, I guess, I don't know. That's just the president trying to show a little leniency that wasn't showed by the courts. When people start to conflate, though, those who get a two- or three-year sentence or even a one-year sentence for leaking something with those who, with the 35 years, first of all, Manning fought it, claimed to be a hero, didn't take a deal, and released a huge amount of information, huge amount of information, knowingly and willfully, that was classified. Betrayed his country. You know, This is like, yeah, if you steal $100, I, I, I think maybe we can say, don't do it again. Go forth and sin no more. If you steal $100 million, you're probably going to go to prison for a long time. This is not a new, this is not a new concept. This is not a new idea. But the left still likes to pretend that Manning is some kind of a hero. I think in part because of the whole gender reassignment thing that he's got going on, too. That makes him now a, a victim somehow. He victimized the United States. He victimized all of us, actually. Third hour coming up. Stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. 